Welcome to my channel. And if you are following the conversation of why save multipurpose cooperative society for the first time, I would first suggest that you read the two or three articles I've so far published because they are going to form the basis of today's conversation. And I want to say the job, the incredible importance of circles in our financial ecosystem, like for countries like in Uganda, is very critical and very important. And the job or the importance of YSEV, a 20-year, almost 20-year-plus circle that has stood the testament of time, is that critical? So some of the questions which we are posing are in no way trying to tear down this great organization, but kind of get certain answers, or that which we believe are important for the greater ecosystem of the financial markets, and for which circles are a great part. To appreciate and understand how important the circles are, you literally have to look at Kenya. Literally, Kenya is almost developing significantly because of the circle financial system. And there are three folds when it comes to circle. You either, if you are a member and a shareholder, you'd expect to earn a dividend. And when you review almost the financial statements of the big circles in Kenya, they are declaring 20-25% a dividend income payable to their members and shareholders. Then you'd earn on your deposit because that almost becomes like a money market investment. So as a member, you are investing in a twofold. You are investing as a shareholder where you'd anticipate to get a dividend Two, you are investing as uh, your savings should earn at least some interest income that should be competitive enough compared to other where you would put that money. Otherwise, what is the benefit of you putting more deposits in this circle? And three, which is the critical, another critical point is the loans that someone must get by belonging to a circle. You kind of, it's implied that you end up getting a less costly loans as compared to going to a financial institution like a bank or going to a money shark. So the importance of circles in our financial ecosystem of a country like Uganda is this critically important. And why I wanted to start it from that angle is because all those three things are important if we are to review what might be going on in YSEV. And like I say, I'm using the financial statements, which means there might be a lot of information that might be out there that might be only accessed by the leadership or the board that they can easily give better answers to some of the questions I'm going to raise. Now, let's start with the shareholders. If you have invested in YSEV as a shareholder, it means at a bare minimum you are entitled at a bare minimum, you should earn some dividend. For the last two years, from the financial statement they are stating, for the last two years, no dividend has been paid to the shareholders in 2023, in 2022. But somehow, the same fund, and this because it's, um, the, the circle is a religious, it's based on uh, a church, for it, the tithe has been made to be paid every single year. So if we can, in some way, manage it, even 
pay as little as possible to the tithe, as the tithe of which in 2023 is 10 million, in 2022 was 5 million, which is very good because that was the foundation of the circle, at least at a bare minimum, we can pay a 20 million as a dividend to kind of show to the investors in this circle that we appreciate their capital and the capital is being deployed and whatever it's earning in, bringing in at least every single year, we are giving back something. Declaring zero every single year, is it's good because you, it keeps a lot of scattered capital for you to do more business later, but that's not the best way to do it. It means for two years consecutively, the members who have invested in the circle as shareholders are getting nothing. It's not the norm what we have seen. When you compare other circles we have seen, uh, there was a lenders, the URA circles, the uh, BOU circles, and we, we are going to start looking at some of these for the public good, for the public interest. And for this one, for two years consecutively, zero dividend. So let's start from there. Now that's where you have to say, why? Isn't it that we are making a loss? No, the company is not making a loss. It's making a profit. It made over 96 million in profits. It could easily uh, distribute some of that without necessarily keeping everything for future investment. Not that they shouldn't invest. That's one. That's where I should start from. Because you are comparing that investment as part of your investment as buying shares in MTN, in Stanbic, buying shares of Airtel. Now, if I'm getting dividends in, if I'm expecting to get dividends in MTN, in Stanbic, in Umeme, why should I then come and I invest more money in my, in YSEV, where I'm getting no dividend for the last two years, even when the company is, is profitable? Now, we shall talk about the quality of the profits they are making later on. Now, we go to the second item, which we talked about as a member of a, a circle. If you give their deposits, you'd expect to earn interest on your deposits, which is uh, classified as the interest expense in their financial statements, you know? And one of the very important thing in this regard for people which what they need to know when it comes to interest expense is how much are my deposits generating? Because your money is competing, should compete for such investments. If you are a member of YSEV and your deposits total up to 20 million, the question becomes, how much have my deposits earned me versus if I had taken that money in another investment? For example, money market funds, the unit trust funds. That's how we should look at this. We are not saying the 1.3 billion they paid out in um, interest income, interest expense to the depositors is little, but it's 8% of the total deposits of 16 billion in the year. 8%. Some of the, on average, we have seen, and I'm going to kind of compare it to money markets because I'm looking at it as an investor. I'm advising someone and I'm asking them, this is your deposit. This is your money. You're trying to deploy it. Should you deploy it in a circle or should you deploy it in a unit trust? Now, if the circle is giving you 8%, and yet the money market is going to give you, the other unit trust is going to give you 11%, 11.5. To some, the yield can even go as high as 12%. Then why should you put your money in the circle? And that's why we are, when we kind of talk about the interest expense, the 
income the deposits are earning, the quality of that is still low. It's good. It's 8%. It's better than people keeping their money in savings accounts in the big banks, the tier one banks. But you go and look at the financial statements of the circles in Kenya. They are giving 15%, 16% on people's deposits. Why they do understand if I give quality interest income on someone's deposit, instead of them putting the money in a unit trust, they will come and put it in a deposit and in my circle. And if I get more money in my circle, I can invest it to generate more income. So if you are a member of the YSEV, of any circle, the question of is always my deposit. How much is it earning? And if it doesn't earn that much, should you keep in much in there? Or should you have just a minimum to allow you to generate, to access the loans, the other benefits of being part of the circle? This is not a social club. This is an investment. And we should kind of look at it from the investment angle. You know, we should always assess this from investment, that they are competing for my money. They are competing for the investment. So if we are going to pay 8% of as interest taxes on total of versus 8% of the total deposits versus people, other people where they deploy their money in unit trust, they're getting 11%, 12%. Those investing in bonds are getting almost 12, 13, 14%. That means the quality of what you are giving, it means someone can literally double the income by moving their money to another product than keeping it in the circle. Now, that's very critical. Now, the third thing are the loans. Now, when it comes to the loans, they are doing an incredible job, right? They, are, they dispersed more loans last year than the money they received, which is good. It means the money shouldn't be there sitting on an account. Circles are an ecosystem for where members should access cheaper loans. So I give them an incredible job. But then, when you realize that they made $2.4 billion in loan interest income, but the total profits, net profits after everything, after costs and everything is just $96 million, that's when you start asking yourself, where has it gone? Now, we can do two things. Of the $2.48 billion from their financial statements, interest income, take out the interest expense. The two big things that the income we are getting from loans first pay off the expenses, which of the deposits, which is 1.3. So you remain with a billion plus. Then that's where you ask yourself now, how do other, how do operating expenses and admin expenses eat away almost a billion that by the end of the year we are just generating just 96 million in profits to an extent that we cannot pay dividends to the shareholders of this circle for two consecutive years? That is the question which people need to get. And now, it can be looked at as if maybe the costs are outgrowing the income faster than the income, and that's what we are seeing. We are seeing the costs, staff costs plus the board costs meeting and everything almost hitting a billion dollars, a billion and that's what we are seeing that is eating away uh, the costs, the income of the, uh, of the savers and the shareholders.
the personal the personal expenses alone are 960 million now pause for a second 960 million this is a circle that has 12 of 1 2 3 10 11 12 12 employees permanent employees but they managed to pay out almost a billion in salaries and wages and we should applaud them for going over and above to pay their employees quality salaries and wages. Because at that rate of 12 people, it means on average, each employee is taking home around 80 million and on average, or 6 million per month. Now, that's competitive, and I like that. That's an organization everyone would want to work for. But is that competitive versus the income you are generating versus the share value you are generating for your shares, for your members, even the interest expenses you are paying to the depositors? Or is this a club that is working for only the employees? 960 million for the 12, uh, for the 12 employees. Then you have to look at expenses which are commission and broker fees, 22 million, which were not there last year. Research and development, not explainable. 22 million plus 16 million, that's already 38 million in expenses that can't easily be accounted for. It can be accounted for, but was that the best use for the money? Then you have depreciation charges of around 68 million. Now, depreciation is not a cash element when it comes to expenses. But how are we moving from 25 million to 68 million in just depreciation? It's because in 2022, the leadership saw it right to purchase new vehicles. At a time of when everything were just recovering from COVID and they didn't pay dividend, they had to buy new vehicles worth 188 million and they have even a deposit on the vehicle purchases of 46 million now what what is this obsession with cars that in just two years somehow over 200 million has gone to the deep to car to vehicles but we cannot pay dividend to shareholders but also at the same time the quality of the interest expenses we are paying to the depositors is just eight percent now, that's the first question. Now, it gets interesting, and that's what goes to the second article I wrote yesterday about land. When you look at the other operating income, there is a 380 million of income from the sale of land. Without this line, without this income, the company, the circle would be in a loss. This seemingly one-off income that is as a result of selling some of the investment property, the land properties, if it wasn't there, it means the circle would be in a loss. If other factors remain constant, if everything else, other expenses and other incomes remain the way they are. But how did they come up to this level? And this is why the story, these are the questions we have to ask. We are, pu- we, are, we, are, we are posing to the leadership and the board and the treasurer. The total 
investment property value in the balance sheet reduced by 350 million. And that is the exact amount we are seeing in the statement of cash flows, 350 million. And if that is indeed true, and it's because you hold the investment properties at cost, the exact amount you paid for that land, you do not fair value your land, even if you hold it for 10 years, you will always carry it at that cost. It means whoever bought this land, which I believe might be members of the circle, not an external party, paid you in cash of just 355 million, which means they paid you just the cost. But because we have this 380 million, which is the income from sale of that land, it means the sale of that land was worth 730 million and above. So, if you only received 355 million, and let me repeat this, your statement of cash flows says you received 355 million, which is the exact figure that we are seeing is the reduction in the balance sheet line of investment properties. So, if you only received the cash of 350 million, and you have an investment income of uh, uh, income from the sale of land of 380 million. It means you sold that land for around 730 million, but you only received the cash of cash of 355. So did we sell the land for 380 on credit? An extra 380 on credit was that a loan? Did we did this transaction was it a loan lending to the members? And what are the chances that we, the purchaser, the, the acquirer for this land, was only required to pay just the cost? Now, the accounting-wise, it can easily add up. But when you take a step back, you have to ask yourself, what are the chances that whoever acquired this land was only required to pay just the cost and was told you will pay the rest later? It's like... The circle was selling a hasty transaction, something you wanted to get rid of quickly or raise money quickly. Oh, was it this a transaction to just make sure we kind of create a haste in the financial statements? Because if your transaction value was 370 and someone only paid 355, which is the cost you used to purchase the land, why would you give someone a leeway for just over 380? But maybe someone said and commented, maybe this transaction was um, land sold to the members. Now, if it's a transaction, if it's land sold to the members of the club, what protocols? Was it a sale of both cash and credit? Or was it a loan? And if it's a loan, is it a loan that the 380 that has not been paid for is going to bear, it's going to accrue interest? And that's why, actually, because of the complexities of some of these transactions, that's why you see the big circles publish annual reports beyond financial statements, where they can go a little bit deeper and dig and publish some of this information to avoid such questions. 
Because if this land transaction was to the members and as a loan that you pay just the money, you pay the cost which we bought for the land, we shall give you the land and we shall take it off our books, but the circle will give you a loan for that extra amount, which is very good. We hope that's what was done. That way that loan creates a credit of interest income every single year as the loan gets repaid. If that's not what was done, but the land was a, a standard purchase and sell, then something screams because there is no way you would want to sell land and ask someone who is buying that land or agree with someone who is buying that land. Prime properties like in Nigeria and Chaliwajara to just pay the cost and pay the rest later. It doesn't make sense. The, the one plus one equals to one doesn't easily happen. The probability of that happening are very, very, very slim. Then we go to other investments. The company, the circle, I applauded them. They are coming into the capital markets and they finally made a transaction in the bond. They bought a 15-year bond for 200 million. And by the cash flow statement, that's what we are seeing, 200 million. And that's what they paid. The big question is, when was it paid? And we can see because in the income statement, they have a 10 million in interest income. But something is missing out, and this is accounting, which doesn't make sense. In the financial statements that are signed, they say all treasury bonds are held to maturity, which means they are accounted for at amortized cost. Now, I do not want to go into boring you with the amortized cost. But in, it simply means, amortized cost means you will always account for that investment, for the actual transactional cost, what you paid, plus any accrued interest that has not yet been paid out in cash. And why that is critical, it's because treasury bonds pay out coupons at a specific point in time. So most times what we end up seeing as at year end, there is always certain interest income that companies are going to recognize in their income statement, but they have not yet received it. That's what we call accrued interest. So the fact that in the balance sheet, you only have 200 million of the bond and we know the 15-year bond last paid coupon on, 15th, on 30th November. That means there are 31 days that are unaccounted for. 31 days of accrued interest that are unaccounted for. Is this accounted for and booked in other line of balance sheet, maybe in prepayments and accounts receivable? And if that's the disclosure, which minimalistic, but that would be a wrong disclosure. You know? So there are some of those simple, which I'm going to call 
questions that when you look at the financial statements, you say they have only earned 10 million of interest income in the bonds by just investing 200 million. Right? Which would mean an investment of that level and that magnitude is bringing in money. They have other investments in unit trusts. They have in UAP, ICEA, Masakala and Trust. And those are bringing in money. Over 87 million that was earned in that. And we are happy with the Quisky investment, bringing in 83 million. So there are so many good things the company is doing. But also they have so many things, so many questions they might need to kind of give clarification on. Now it's upon them. You know? When you look at expenses, which should be the critical ones? Committee expenses, 118 million. Monthly meeting expenses, 22 million. That alone takes you to close to 140 million. The annual general meeting, 38 million. Planning meetings, 38. Actually, all the governance costs is over 250 million. That is 10% of the interest income you have earned is going to the board. Are we running this circle or are we running our circles in Uganda like the government? The extravagance that comes with that. Think about it. The governance costs are 10% of the interest income. And such costs are the cost to which the leadership and the board should control the fiduciary duty for them to control such costs to ensure that the shareholders have something to get back. If these costs were even half of what they are, it means they would have had at least a 130 distributable income as a dividend to their shareholders. But no, we are bloating the committee expenses of 118 million. Annual general meeting, 38 million. For a company that can't pay dividends, shouldn't be holding an annual general meeting of 38 million. There is that fiduciary duty to make sure we maximize the return we are getting for the people who are giving us their money. It's that simple. Then you look at balances like accounts receivable increasing by over 240 million. Who is this person who owes the company this much money if it's not a loan? A circle is in the business of making money. But we have someone who, has, who owes the company 208, 480 million. Is this man earning interest? If this money, if this 480 million, which is an account receivable for someone, whoever it is, whichever company, they don't disclose it to who. It would mean if that money was there in cash and they had invested it in with one of the unit trust and they are getting 11, 10%, that's over 48 million. You'd have something to distribute to the members. But you know, it actually just increased. 
it just increased. So these are some of the questions which I thought I should highlight in an in a podcast instead of writing that I would want to pose to the wider public and they could set a precedence on when it comes to the circle. I love the circle business. I love capital markets, financial markets. Circles are a, an integral part. When you look at the kind of impact they are having in Kenya and in so many other countries, we would want to replicate that. But we cannot do it if we are seeing that the biggest circles that have stood the test of times over 20 years are struggling with some simple things like this. That two years in a row, they are not paying dividends. Two years in a row, they are paying interest expenses on deposits, which is less than 10%, less than the money market. Then why should people move their money from the money markets, from the unit trusts, into the circle. If I can get better money on my deposit, on a fixed deposit, some banks are offering better fixed deposits than the circles. So if I'm, not, if I'm into the circle and I'm not a borrowing type of customer, it means you are draining me. If you can't give me a dividend and can't give me quality return on my deposits, then why should I keep my money there? I know why SEV is strong enough. It can give some answers, but also it can get better. And it can only get better if the bloated expenses are controlled. Some of these questions where we are seeing that the biggest chunk, almost 70% of the total loan book is to related parties, that is the staff and the board, 7%. Some of those, those are the kind of questions you kind of want to get answered if we are to grow. Thank you so much. Kakande Alex.